1: With Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
3: That's
0: right, it is Greeny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus, presented by Progressive Insurance, and all the guests appear via the Goodyear Hotline. Filling in for Greeny today, Field Yates and Taylor Twellman, and diving into all sorts of things, including the best moment in sports of 2020. But Taylor, we are now just one day away from the college football playoff semifinal and my question to you is, we've got Alabama-Notre Dame first, and then Ohio State-Clemson second. Is tomorrow just a warm-up for what could take place, the 19th, by my count, matchup between Alabama and Clemson in mid-January?
1: As long as the COVID-19 test of Thursday, December 31st, 2020 come back negative for a positive outlook for both Clemson and Alabama, then yes. Yes. I do, especially with Alabama. We saw what Alabama did uh, throughout the entire year, no matter who was thrown across them, right? And and we saw what Clemson then did with Notre Dame with Trevor Lawrence at the helm after losing to them without Trevor Lawrence. I'm sorry, I just don't see anything from Notre Dame that gives it. The more concern is whether or not Notre Dame can cover their spread. Uh, And Nick Saban can tell me anything he wants about this being a more physical team than when they absolutely destroyed him years ago. I I just I'm not going to believe in that. And and for everyone at home, I am a firm believer that it needs to go at the minimum six or eight teams in saying that if this was Texas A&M, if this was Cincinnati, if this I don't care who was playing Alabama today or Friday, no matter who's on the other side, it's over. So Alabama's in the final that now you and I can get into a conversation about Clemson, Ohio State. Clemson's going to be a little nervous, right, because of their offensive co- coordinator testing positive. They need those tests to come back, make sure they're clean. But you've heard Dabo. Sweeney kind of still talk about Ohio State when he really doesn't need to. Uh, the fact that he ranked them 11th, I think was it was out of spite, you know, he wants to say, well, you can't do Listen, Debo, I don't care how many games Ohio State played. Field, you and I both know it's a top six talented team in this country. So don't sit there and say that they're 11th best team. I agree with him a little bit that well, they did only play six games, but you're giving them bulletin board material consistently when you don't need to. So if there is going to be an upset on Friday at all, then, yeah, it's Ohio State. But I still think Clemson's going to – I just think Clemson's operating at a much higher level than what we've seen from Ohio State all the way against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game and even after the COVID-19 circus that they had to deal with. I I just don't buy it. I think we've got Clemson-Alabama for the national championship.
0: Yeah, my thought – I sort of boil it down this way simply on why Ohio State has a chance is that if we – presume that each of the four teams is capable of playing its best on Friday which we should presume everyone any of them could play their best Ohio State's best is good enough in my opinion to beat Clemson I'm not saying necessarily Clemson's best but if we get like a B plus effort from Clemson tomorrow I think an A or an A plus effort from Ohio State is good enough to beat a B or a B plus maybe even an A minus effort from Clemson Whereas I don't know that an A-plus effort from Notre Dame is good enough to beat a B-plus or an A-minus effort from Alabama, if that makes sense. I think there is certainly a chance that Ohio State could upset Clemson, but we would call that upset for a reason. Now, Notre Dame is a more, I think, sort of cut and dry. I don't believe that they have a chance really at all against Alabama, who's a 20-and-a-half-point favorite over Notre Dame in this game, the largest spread in college football playoff history. And I would argue that Notre Dame needs to play more competitively than that to show that they belonged in this playoff in the first place. Their head coach, Brian Kelly, seems to disagree.
2: No, I mean, we're knocking at the door every year playing really good teams and great opponents, and there's elite football teams. Um, You know, I – I don't know why this narrative continues to pop up when we're always in the games. No, we haven't won a national championship. That's correct. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not changing the record, <laughs> but, uh, we are there every single year and we are grinding it out just like everybody else. Um, and only one team gets to, uh, celebrate at the end of the year. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to keep banging it and we're going to keep getting back here and, uh, that's our job, and and that's our challenge each and every year is to compete for a national championship, and we'll continue to do that.
0: The question posed to Brian Kelly to be clear, by the way, was whether the team has something to prove in terms of postseason performance. As you could probably infer from that 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 the answer is yes. The answer is of course it is. Taylor Field, because, are you yeah, kidding me? Of course they do. They have something to prove because think about this in other sports, right? Like this happens in many many sports. Right? The Dodgers had something to prove until they won a World Series this year, right? The Cincinnati Bengals had something to prove when they made the playoffs consistently at the end of Marvin Lewis's tenure, but never actually won a game. The Toronto Raptors had something to prove when they couldn't get past LeBron, who I understand that's quite a mountain to climb over. So is Alabama for Notre Dame. Just making the playoff is cool. It's fun for like the two weeks in which you've been named to the playoff but haven't actually played the game. But this is Notre Dame. Like, this is, in some people's estimation, one of the preeminent programs of the country. But you can't be preeminent if you can't get the job
1: done when it matters most. Yeah, but that's part of the problem. I mean, I'm laughing over here that you even put LeBron and Notre Dame in the same conversation. <laughs> <anymore>. Like, <laughs> like, like this, this is Notre Dame football, where since the BCS and the college football playoff, you've been in the semifinal six times, five of the six. I don't even remember you playing. And you could tell me you're knocking on the door. You could tell me anything you want, Brian Kelly. I get it. Uh, This is coming from someone that is one of the three players to lose four MLS Cups in their 25-year history. I lost three in a row. You can't tell me I didn't have something to prove with my postseason performance every single time we lost. But we lost in overtime, penalty, whatever. You've been losing by halftime. And so you can't sit here and say, as the Notre Dame football head coach, this program that has its own TV deal, for God's sakes, that you're literally going to say we have nothing to prove. We're what? We're just like every other team that loses it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Ohio State played Clemson very closely last year, Field. That was a game. People remember that. That's respect. And Ohio State was absolutely livid. Notre Dame hasn't been in any of these games, and I worry because the Notre Dame I saw against Clemson in the ACC championship game, whoa, because if that team shows up, you're talking about an absolute bamboozle coming from Alabama in Nick Saban, and Brian Kelly's then going to go up to the postgame and say, no, we're happy. This is what we do. We're just we're just like every other team that finishes second. Yeah.
0: yeah, to whom much is given, much is expected, one of those phrases that applies to a lot of things in life. Same thing goes for Notre Dame. Uh, but Ohio State, obviously, as we both have sort of suggested, has a better chance of pulling the upset over Clemson. Uh, head coach Ryan Day was asked what this playoff game against Clemson is really all about. I think this is more about this team and these guys on this team and the leaders and what they've done and their story, the story that, that these guys have on their journey to get to right here and what, and what the, the final chapter or two is going to be. That, that's more to me what this is about. This is about a bunch of guys who have just been through so much. Yeah, it's not about, as I think maybe Ryan Day would suggest, being ranked 11th in Dabo's coaches poll, et cetera, things like that. Ultimately, the game begins tomorrow, Taylor. They've got a chance. And, again, I will just fall on that sort of crutch logic, but if they play their best, they're capable of beating, I believe, anybody in the country, and we haven't seen it yet. That's the problem with Ohio State is they've had six opportunities to show their best, and they haven't yet. The other big thing here for Ohio State is that Justin Fields, who's incredible, He has not played his best or anywhere close to it in big games. But tomorrow is the way that you cement not just your legacy at Ohio State and your chance to go to the College Football National Championship, but there is a ton on the line tomorrow night for Justin Fields for the NFL draft. Because right now, it's not that Trevor Lawrence is the clear-cut number one. It's that there are questions about whether Ohio State's Justin Fields is even the number two quarterback prospect. No, in the you country could argue anymore.
1: Wilson from BYU that's is. That's right, yeah. You could make a legitimate argument that he is, right? So I, I agree with you. However, Clemson's played into this.
0: Oh, And man, see, I've my concern
1: is like, yeah, and that's my concern, field, is that it's a one off. And you and I both know this isn't the same Ohio State talented team that we saw last year. It doesn't matter. They're still talented. They're still in the conversation of top four, top five, most talented teams, no matter how they played this year. It's a one off. What if everything clicks? And what if the first quarter, the first half, they're breathing down Trevor Lawrence's neck and they're keeping up with them on the offensive side? That's why I see this and say, yeah, okay, I don't think it happens. I've been on the record for that for the last week here on ESPN Radio and ESPN. But I still think that if there's going to be one upset, it's going to be Ohio State over Clemson. I just don't think it's happening because if those tests come back negative and they are just missing the offensive coordinator – Tony Elliott. I just, that team I saw play Notre Dame. I'm sorry. Clemson was all over them from the opening whistle, from the kickoff. And I just don't see Ohio State being able to do it but can they is the question, and the answer is yes.
0: Yeah, part of the reason why you mentioned the Clemson test coming back negative and not Ohio State's is, A, Tony Elliott, their offensive coordinator, has already tested positive, and also Clemson and Alabama elected to allow their athletes to go home for the holiday. Uh, Ohio what a State risky
1: decision that was. Yeah, and, and
0: and, and I, there's probably like a conversation to be had there. However, Ohio State and Notre Dame had all their student athletes stay here, or I should say on campus, in advance of their college football playoff semifinals. Let's hard pivot to the NBA Uh, and we are now joined uh, via the Goodyear hotline by ESPN NBA insider and the incomparable host of the Hoop Collective, the great Brian Windhurst. Wendy, you have an article out today and I'll read the headline and allow you to explain it, that the NBA, a lot of NBA teams, need a James Harden trade soon. Why is that?
3: You know, this this season where the NBA is right now, and I know we're we're pretty um, early into it, but there is... As big of a glump of teams uh, bunched together as I can remember. Um, You know, you have a couple of teams that distance themselves. The two L.A. teams are probably 1-2. Milwaukee with Giannis probably thinks it's in the top three. That's arguable. But from teams 4 through about 12 and even 12 through 15, there's not a lot of difference in those teams. You know, a lot of them have two good players. A lot of them have good things going for him, a lot of negatives, and it's just going to be a really tight race. And as the season goes along, I just think there's going to be a desire for some of these teams to stand out from the pack, and the way to do that is James Harden. And I think a team or two is going to talk themselves into going all in to try to, to, try to distance themselves for this year. The way to do it is Harden. He is the way out. He is the superstar player who's available. He's already looking very good even though he's out of shape. And I think the the mood is right. The, the situation is right for there to be a blockbuster trade in the short term from one of those teams.
1: Wendy, I'm just curious. The success of the Toronto Raptors in 1819, going out, getting Kawhi Leonard for that short-term risky move, but it paying off in the end, has that changed the conversations that are being had in front offices now that maybe they are a little bit more willing to make a risky move because of that success the Raptors had?
3: You know, it is exactly a situation that, you, you know, it's, it's an organizational back and forth. Uh, are you happy with getting into the playoffs and seeing if everything falls your way and maybe you can get to the second round, maybe you can finagle your way to the conference finals? Are you happy with that? Is that where you're going as an organization? Or do you want to go for it? Uh, I think you could talk to 10 different teams and get different answers. You know, in the case of the Raptors, Masai Ujiri, he has been executive at year. We're talking about a guy who was at the top of his, of his craft. And he was like, look, I'm tired of being the team that's just okay, and when we get to the end, we don't have the firepower to do it. And, you know, that trade, it was a little bit different than this Harden situation because Kawhi only had one year on his contract, um, and the, 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 what it was going to cost them was going to be different. But there's a bunch of teams in the exact same boat that the Raptors were in two years ago, which is a couple of good players, but man, do we need a difference maker to stand, to stand out. And it, it was a swing for the fences for them. And they hit it and it was a a franchise changing moment. And forevermore, it'll be remembered as one of the great moves in, in, in one of the great transactions in league history. Do you want to go for something like that? Um, it's one thing to have a philosophical discussion about that. It's another when there's actually a player out there who can be a difference maker. And we're talking about James Harden, who is a former MVP has been a top three guy in the MVP race uh, for the last five years. He is a difference making player. And if you are in the middle of the pack, if you're five, six, seven, eight, getting a James Harden could make you maybe into that top three and give you a chance to win the championship. And that's what these teams are going to come to terms with, I think, in the next few weeks or month or so. Uh,
0: Wendy, I'm going to ask you to take off your insider hat so all the aggregators out there can stand down for a moment and put on your analyst hat because you mentioned these bunch of teams that could really use James Harden to take them to the next level, just logically. And I'm sort of removing what James Harden wants because ultimately Houston has, I think, some leverage here. Uh, What would be sensible teams that are partners for Houston to execute a James Harden trade?
3: Interestingly... The Toronto Raptors. Yeah. They are I heard you on the podcast. Saying in a, they're in a similar boat that they were two years ago wow. um, because Kawhi left. They have, they have a couple of really good players, um, but I can't look at you in the eye and tell you that they are a, a favorite to get out of the East or even make the conference finals. Um, they have all of their draft picks going forward and to get James Harden, you're going to need maybe two or three first round picks plus a, a current star player, plus maybe a young player or two. They have that package available. Um, how it would be put together would be a matter of negotiation, but I think a team like the uh, the Raptors are absolutely would be a team that would look at this. Um, you have a team like the Denver Nuggets. This is again, you know, they they made it to the conference finals last year, so you can say, hey, we're a good team. But do you look at the Denver Nuggets and say they could beat the Lakers four out of seven? Do you? I know they beat the Clippers last year. Do you give them a puncher's chance to do it again to come the way they they want? I mean, maybe. I don't think that's an honest way to look at it. And they have this. Young, very valuable player in Michael Porter Jr., who a lot of teams, including the Rockets, are high on. You use that as a centerpiece of a trade. You bring in James Harden, all of a sudden your situation looks completely different. If you add him to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, now you've got a three-headed beast that puts you right there with the two LA teams, in my view. Uh, and we could go on like this for an hour, guys. I mean, there are teams that are sort of on the playoff periphery. You know, I I say this kind of half in um in jest but i'm kind of being serious if you're a team like the cleveland cavaliers that is loaded with young players and loaded with all of your future draft picks and extra draft picks how are you going to get a player like james harden you're not getting in free agency you know um you know you know they you know maybe you could draft a guy like that i mean they've they won the lottery three times in four years i don't know if i would gamble on winning the lottery again um you know that they wouldn't become a championship contender, but they have made the playoffs in two years. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. Who knows about next year? Like these are the teams that um, that are, they could talk themselves into it, and that's why I think that there's going to be something happen here, and that's why I think the Rockets are very smart to leave their their expectations very high. I know a lot of people think well. Ben Simmons is, is the deal to make. You know, you, you trade Ben Simmons for James Harden, and it's just a matter of Philadelphia getting to the point where it uh, where it feels comfortable making that type of trade. That could be what happens. I agree. But as things unfold in the next few weeks, I'm telling you guys, there are seven or eight teams in the Eastern Conference alone. We're not even talking mm-hmm. about the West, who probably think that they can make the conference finals this year. Mathematically, that's not happening. <laughs> you know, there's only four teams making the second round, and when that happens, there's going to be teams who are general managers who are under pressure, coaches who are under pressure. And that pressure is going to amp up as we get into this season. Everybody stays bunched together.
1: You're listening to Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider with Field Yates. I'm Taylor Twelman. Wendy, I- how unpredictable is this year going to be? I mean, you're looking at the standings right now: Denver Nuggets one and three, Milwaukee Bucks two and three, Keevan Cavaliers three and one. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not in the bubble. How unpredictable is this season going to be with COVID-19 and just playing without fans in the arena?
3: Yeah. So first off, we have all these teams are on different timelines. Some teams were off for nine months. Some teams were off for you know two months. Okay. So teams are on different uh, you know there's some guys who came in in great shape other guys who came in, in in off shape and they all had their excuses for why that was the case then you know one of the things we're seeing right now is we're seeing huge blowouts we're seeing home teams get blown out and I think one of the reasons we're seeing that is there's no fans you know the, the, the you know the home teams rarely get blown out in the NBA because the fans the uh, the fans give the team the home teams energy and you always see the home teams rally i mean the the clippers lost by 50 at home the other day the the the, the mavericks lost by 30 i mean i don't know what their final score was but they were down by 35 or something like that at home last night so you have the fact that there's home court advantage has been sort of blown up Um, then you have this baseball scheduling where you know the, the bucks and the heat played twice in the last two days the bucks won one of the games by 47 or something like that and then lost the next night um, because you see teams make adjustments on the teams that they get to play two days in a row really quickly. So it's just scattershot. It's uh, it's one big scrambled egg right now, and that I think only is going to make it more likely that the teams are going to sort of coalesce in the middle. And um, like I said, in, in addition to the fact that the teams are that are competing for the top, there's a bunch of teams that feel the pressure to make the playoffs this year. You look at the Washington Wizards. The, the, the clock is starting to tick on them and Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal has made, made it pretty clear he wants to be on a competitive team. Well, they're 0-4. And, 4. and um, you know, they are facing a very difficult 10-game schedule coming up. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's going to get late early for them. And meanwhile, you got the Atlanta Hawks, who are off to a great start. Well, they're not one of the six or seven teams that starts the year off thinking they can get to the conference final, but maybe they talk themselves into it. Now, you all of a sudden – you're, you, you've got them competing for the seven or eight seed with where they're at. It's just a real scrambled mess, and it's going to be – it's not the type of season where there's no skin in the game. There's a whole bunch of these teams that have a lot of skin in the game, and I think we're going to see that manifest itself when it comes to some of these decisions teams are going to make in the next uh, six to eight weeks or so.
0: Wendy, as always, tremendous insight. Listen to him on the Hoop Collective. You can see him on the jump, and of course you can read his latest piece surrounded or surrounding James Harden and a potential trade on ESPN.com. Happy New Year, bud. You
3: too, guys. Take care.
0: Wendy's the best, always has unparalleled insight on all things around the NBA, and it's fair to say that a James Harden trade would certainly be one of the storylines in early 2021 if it does indeed come to fruition. But coming up here... What was the best sports moment of 2020? We're not done yet with 2020. It's Greeny with Taylor Twelman and Field Yates on ESPN Radio. But first, this word
1: from ZipRecruiter. Sports is using technology to take the fan experience to the next level, like having digital fans in the stands. When it comes to hiring, there's only one solution that has been advancing its technology for years. That's ZipRecruiter. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com. Greeny ZipRecruiter's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. No wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-R-E-E-N-Y. Coming up next on Greeny with Field Yates and Taylor Twelman. What was the best moment of
0: 2020? We need some good news. That's here on ESPN Radio.
4: Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more.
0: this is a crucial game for the rams what is the latest on jared Goff? the
1: thumb
4: is broken he will actually be able to return according to Shelby Bay, in time for the playoff the rams will face the cardinals they also have injury concerns regarding their starting
0: quarterback kyler murray
1: tweet out that i'm gonna play yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be playing there's no um you know holding back and yeah we still got opportunity. so i think everybody should embrace it and leave it out on the field or something
0: no worries, no worries here on Greenie on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 and ESPN Plus presented by Progressive Insurance. And a reminder, Field the Ace and Taylor Twellman hanging out with you. And ESPN Radio has you covered for bowl game action. Tune in today for the AutoZone Liberty Bowl presented by AutoZone. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern following us on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Reminder, the college football playoff semifinals and final are on ESPN and ESPN Radio. Coverage of the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl on ESPN Radio begin Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. All right, Taylor, uh, let me get maybe a thumbs up. You want to go to Josh Weinfuss now, Bubba? Is that where you want us to to go? Do we have him? Okay, we do. We're going to do this right now, then. We're going to do it live. We're going to be joined right now by ESPN Cardinals reporter, Josh Weinfuss, who, uh, Josh, many of us have been speculating upon the availability of Kyler Murray for Week 17. You had a chance to ask him directly to his face yesterday, and he gave you Twitter clearance. What did he tell you?
2: <laughs> he told me that it, he, yeah, he, he gave me permission to tweet that he will be playing Sunday against the Rams in the Cardinals' winner go home uh, Week 17 game.
0: Well, that is good news right there, and certainly it seemed like for a moment we could be looking at a Chris Streveler versus Kyler Murray, uh, sorry, versus John Wolford matchup on Sunday in Week 17. It's great to have Kyler back, but this team has been sort of teetering right now, I should say recently, Josh. What has been the cause of some of their offensive woes over the past few weeks?
2: I think part of it is I think Kyler's been banged up more than they're letting on. I think he um, has had a shoulder injury that's gone beyond just what happened a few weeks ago um, against Seattle. Um, And then I think the other part of it is teams are figuring out how to contain Kyler as a runner. And when that happens, the Cardinals aren't reacting with with some countermeasures, right? And I think that could be put on Cliff Kingsbury. You know, they just haven't figured out a way how when Kyler gets slowed down to – find the openings that he had you know he's such a natural runner and he can do he has a great arm and great feet but when, when one part of his game's taken away this offense you know seems to kind of slow down to to just you know a slow chug instead of that high-powered you know ferrari that it is when it's going at full speed so um i think you know those two things have really kind of been the biggest issue and then coach Kingsbury's had some clock management issues he's called some questionable plays on on, you know, on on, on short yardage situations. So, you know, you put all that together and they've really struggled since the buy-in the week.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, Josh, that we're sitting here on December 31st heading into week 17, and we're still talking about the ability of the Chicago Bears being able to play themselves in the playoffs. And a lot of that is because the Cardinals have fallen flat, which is where I want to go with it. Where is the level of desperation slash confidence within the group that they can get this done?
2: desperation is pretty high confidence i think that they're trying to exude this is high level uh-huh. of confidence but remember they haven't beat sean mcvay since he got to la so that's seven straight games that they haven't been able to beat the rams and they that's playing on them the fact that this is a playoff game essentially it's playing on them the fact that they are you know they started five and two and now you're eight and seven you know the all of this is just kind of just weighing on this team and they understand kind of what the fallout could be. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of that happen this off season, but I think going into next season, if they lose this game, after the type of start they had, there's going to be so many questions, so much pressure going into 2021 that I think – for their own sanity, they feel like they need to win this game just to put all that to bed.
0: You know, Josh, when the offense sputters and the quarterback seems to be playing pretty well still, and Kyler, a lot of finger-pointing heads towards the head coach-slash-offensive coordinator. How much of it is fair? Because I do know, I do have seen Cliff Kingsbury become a fairly frequent target of some criticism about the offense being stale, being not that innovative. How much of that do you believe is fair, and how much of that do you think is a little bit uncalled for or unjust?
2: I think a lot of it's fair simply because the Cardinals hired him for one reason and one reason only get the offense on track. You know, after that 2018 season with Steve Wilkes, they finished three and 13. The offense was an absolute disaster with Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen. There was no sense of identity. Well, you had, you know, the Rams playing well with Sean McVay. You had the Niners playing well um, with Shanahan. You know, all the offensive teams, obviously, you know, you had the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. You had three other divisional teams with their quarterbacks playing well offensively. And the Cardinals were basically left in the dust. So Michael Biddle, the team owner, set out to find the next young, young offensive mind. And that was Cliff Kingsbury. Well, if the offense isn't producing, you hired an offensive-minded coach. Specifically to coach quarterbacks and run your offense, then I think a lot of this has to be, you know, has to fall on him. Obviously, Kyler Murray is still, you know, learning how to play in the NFL. He's still figuring out NFL defenses, um, but he's quite talented. And I think, you know, when when there are mistakes made, um, some of it can be put on Kyler, some of it can be put on Cliff. I think some of it can also be put on the fact that this team didn't have an offseason. You know, so there really wasn't a lot of time, um, and that's with every team. But this team didn't really have a a lot of time. To get Kyler Murray on the same page with DeAndre Hopkins, so when you see those two misconnect, I think that, that you know that we can kind of you know hark back to that, saying these guys you know they're still trying to get on the same page seventeen weeks into the season because instead of having all OTs, all mini camp, all training camp, um, in preseason to work on that. So um, I would say a lot of this has to go on Cliff Kings very simply because this is his offense, this is his scheme, this is his quarterback, and when it doesn't work. I think you know the play calling is an issue sometimes, um, but I think you know I think the large majority has to be put on Cliff.
0: Well, a lot of that criticism will go away, Josh, if Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals get a win on Sunday and a postseason appearance. Thanks as always for joining us here, and have a great start to 2021. Yeah, Happy New Year, guys! Happy New Year, Josh. Thanks for joining us here, and it is Greeny on ESPN Radio, Field Yates and Taylor Twelman hanging out with you. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, and a reminder that we've been asking you all day. What has been the sports highlight of 2021, the best sports moment from 2021? it's time for us to head out now to the phone lines. We find Levi in Virginia Beach. Levi, what was the best sports moment of 2020?
4: Uh, for me, man, one of the coolest moments
0: was overseas, the soccer players uh, wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirts, you know, after the whole George Floyd incident with the George Floyd murder up in Minneapolis. Um, I thought that was just a cool moment. Um, as you all, I mean, especially Taylor. Taylor can speak on this more than anybody. Um, soccer has a lot of racism in its own sport. And so to see all those players coming together in solidarity, you know, to support Black Lives Matter and what was going on here in America, I just, I just thought that was a cool moment. But, yeah, that's all I got,
3: man. You guys have a good New Year.
0: Thank you, Levi. We appreciate you joining us here on Green Taylor. Know, that certainly was a powerful moment in the world of soccer, and it's just the world in general.
1: Yeah, it it was a monumental moment because Levi hit the nail on the head. Soccer is the most racist sport in the world. And oftentimes in this country, it's a black and white issue. But in soccer, it's all over the world. And you go to South America and talk about Asians. You go to Asians and talk about whatever it may be. Racism is all over. We've seen monkey chants still in 2020 in soccer stadiums for black players. To have the Bundesliga players, and we all know the history of the country of Germany and where it's been with racism and whatnot, collectively come together and start a conversation around the world field. Think of that where NASCAR and the Bundesliga led the conversation about Black Lives Matter, that will be one of the stories that is told in 2020.
0: Yeah, some progress being made. Nothing close to the job being done, but hopefully some positive steps being being made towards racial justice around this world. Uh, Coming up, which AFC team will be the biggest disappointment if they fail to reach the postseason? It's Greeny with Taylor
1: Taylor Twellman and Field Yates on ESPN Radio, but first, this word from Straight Talk. Straight Talk, it's time for some Straight Talk. Look, we all drop our phones. It happens. You mm-hmm. fumble it like Baker Mayfield did last weekend against the Jets. You crack it, you splash it, or like myself, you kick it sometimes. Well, Straight Talk Wireless now offers this platinum unlimited plan that includes phone protection, just 20, 65 bucks a month for unlimited talk text and data plus 20 gigs of hotspot 100 gigs of cloud storage and more all on the best network straight talk wireless no contract no compromise see mobile protect terms and conditions at asurion.com slash straight talk limitations and exclusions apply which afc team is under the most pressure to make the playoffs
0: in week 17 that's next on greenie on espn radio with taylor twelman and field Yates.
1: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
4: I'm Alex Rodriguez.
0: And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports,
1: media, and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is and not as job. simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
2: want to do another stomp you out speech. It
0: opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show
2: is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Greeny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. Phil Yates and Taylor Twellman hanging out with you today in place of Greeny. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th. 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans. As told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. March 11th, 2020 will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 podcasts present March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcast. Taylor, just a few minutes ago, we asked which team under the most pressure to win in Week 17. Now we have an update as Dolphins quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, their closer who steps in when Tua tungo struggles, has tested positive for COVID-19 confirmed by ESPN. He will not be available for Sunday's finale against the Buffalo Bills. A sliver of good, uh, uh, I guess, a small silver lining for the Dolphins is that according to the NFL network, contact tracing has been done to determine any high-risk close contacts for the Miami Dolphins, and there were none. And that, of course, includes Tua, who many would obviously wonder whether he was a close contact of Fitzpatrick, given the fact that they played the same position and spent a lot of time together. But Fitzy isn't even the starter for the Dolphins, and this feels like massive news because we know that if, if things don't go well early for Tua... Ryan Fitzpatrick will be in the game
1: because Brian Flores is not afraid to pull the plug until right now. No, but we also haven't seen Tua going into a game knowing that Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't available, right, Field? So there's part of me that wants to give this kid a a real opportunity here to say, you know what, this is why they got him. This is why they drafted him. It's also why it's odd to me that you still hear rumblings that – Certain teams like Miami may still be looking at a quarterback after this year, but that's a completely different conversation. I can't say what I said in the break to you, but I will say in a polite way, well, guess what? Ryan Fitzpatrick can't save the day now when Tua doesn't play well. And so now you're going to learn a lot about Tua in a very difficult environment in Buffalo for a team that's still playing for that second seed, and so this is going where it to be gets a very difficult situation for the Dolphins, but one that, you know what, I look at it as a former athlete field and say, you know what, good, good for Tua. You're going to find out right now whether or not you're capable of doing it. The defense, Brian Flores, everything that he's got, he's got the ability to do it. Now it's up to Tua to, you know, make sure there's no turnovers and, and get the deal done. But this is where it gets interesting.
0: As you mentioned, can they take down, Or you know, you talked about the Buffalo Bills having something to play for. Sean McDermott, their head coach, has been coy all week, and that's fine. It's his decision to do so if he chooses, about whether they would play their starters, not play their starters, play some of their starters, play them for some of the game. If the Bills go all out on Sunday and play their starters all the way through, it's a super difficult task. I don't care who's playing quarterback. They've only lost one game out of their last nine. That was the Hale-Murray against the Arizona Cardinals. They're rolling right now. They might be the best team in football, not named the Kansas City Chiefs. But if their guys aren't out there, Taylor, if they bench Josh Allen, they play Matt Barkley, and they play several other subs as opposed to starters, and this may not matter, right? If, if, if the Dolphins can't beat the Bills' backups, with Tua, their starter, by the way, and not their new starter. He's been a starter for several weeks now, several months now. Then, again, this goes back to the conversation we had with the Cleveland Browns earlier on the show. Do you even be Deserve to be in the playoffs if you can't beat a playoff team's backups, right? Because then, if you can't beat their backups, what happens when you're playing against somebody else's starters a week from right now?
1: Yeah, but we're allowing the NFC East winner to get into the playoffs, so what does it matter? That's true. I
0: have a (laughs) I have a rule idea, by the way, Taylor. I always feel I kind of feel like the NFL needs to consider this: is if the worst division winner, heck, and if there's ever a scenario where a wild card team. Has a record of three more wins than the division winner, the wild card round should be played in the wild card team's home stadium. You know what I mean? Like, the Bucks deserve to have that game being played in Tampa as opposed to Washington, Creed. New York, or, or, or Dallas. This is
1: why I went on that tangent. The NFL's done everything right by only one team gets a bye. Everything going into Week 17 means so much for so many teams. 35 different scenarios for the wildcard weekend, and yet the Washington football team's going to host the Bucks. Like, how, how the NFL hasn't figured yeah. that part out is mind-boggling.
0: I was going to say, say that's 2020, but 2020 ends in less than 12 hours.